This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. We're going to talk about The Forever War, a 1974 novel by Joe Haldeman. Joe Haldeman's one of the guys... uh, I thought, oh, if everybody in the modern era writes like him, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Um, it's really refreshing also to go back to this book for me because what's so weird about it is I don't think there's a lot of depth to it other than the incredibly good writing and interesting idea SF, social science fiction, like – there's no questioning whether anything's real or not. You know, I do that a lot with Lovecraft stories. <laughs> like, what does it mean? <laughs> like that. There's nothing like that in here. It's 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 it, it's a very straightforward '90s 1970s novel. It's not Philip K. Dick. It's not Lovecraft. No. It's it's a nice twist on the idea of going ever further into the future and. Future shock mm-hmm. combined with a narrative about war and war. What is it good for? Mm-hmm. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. This is a very, this is a, a, this is a novel that definitely says, yeah, war, war is, war is bunk. And here's why. The other thing, you know, like uh, normally what I do is I, I study all the surrounding material. So one of the things I said I would do for this is I'd watch that new Ken Burns Vietnam series, mm-hmm. which is very good and very interesting. It's a, it's very long and drawn out, of course, like the war itself. Um, it's very illuminating. It brings to light uh, facts that were not well known um, about the origins and such of the war, but really has very little to do with the novel. <laughs> And and yet, people and Haldeman, you know himself, will say you know it's related, but I think it's not related in the combat and and the as much as it is with coming home from the war. That feeling he had when he came home from the Vietnam War, and things are different, right? He's been away for a year, and a year in the 1960s is very different than a year in, uh, you know, the 2010s. If anything, things are far more accelerated now than they were then as far as you're gone a year out of the world and things would be radically different. I mean, imagine, imagine you were separated from the Earth for a year between mid-2016 and now. <laughs> and you, you would wonder, what the bleep has happened? I mean, I mean that, that sort of dilation, I mean, I mean, there was changes and evolutions during the period of the Vietnam War, but was not as um, head-snappingly as rapid as today. I, I completely disagree. <laughs> I completely you disagree? How 100%. so? 100%. Um, uh, I, I, I mean, uh, most people, I, I think, would be in a lot of sympathy with what you're saying. I mean, politically, 
things seem like a clown show right now, right? But they were a clown show before. It's just people weren't sort of they weren't so hyper focused on it. Um, but but in like if you if you left uh, the United States in 1967 and you came back in 1968, mm-hmm. um, that was like a very politically traumatic time. Um, that particular year, year, yes. You would go, or or from '68 to '69. No matter, you know, the the um, I mean, it's it's kind. Of, I wasn't alive then, but I I was born in '72, so I know people who were. Am I? Um, I'm older than you. Oh God. <laughs> Wow. I didn't realize that. Only by relative in, time dilation. That's, I, I was born in '71. Oh yeah. God. So, uh, you you knew people back then too, but uh, you know, the people had to like a lot of people left the country. In like a lot of my profs at university are Americans. They they're draft dodgers. People who mm-hmm. had to leave the country because uh, of the the politics then. People talk about it now. <laughs> they talk about it all the time, you know. Not my president, hashtag or whatever it is. But do but, they literally flee the country? Not many. No. I know. I know. Not many. No. I know. When I went to New Zealand for the Down Under Fan Fun trip, I did meet an expat American who left during the reign of George W. Bush because she just couldn't take it anymore. You. It's. It, there is a continuum of it, but I mean, the draft dodging thing was not small. It was huge. I mean, literally three or four of my my favorite professors were were draft dodgers, and they just you know they left at the time and they came up here and that's they and they stayed and they never went back. Yeah, and a lot huh. of them did go back, right? So, um, it's it was a huge it was a huge deal, and the difference is right. Today, you can have a war in Afghanistan for 16, going on 17 years, um, and nobody makes a peep because it's only the people who choose to go, quote unquote, right? Whereas back then, um, and this is goes with the novel, um, even the elites, sort of, or quasi-elites, might have to go, including Haldeman himself, right, who was a physics student. And who, you know, had unless to you have bone spurs, yeah, or yeah, uh, the the <laughs> that, real the real plut- plutocrats they always yeah. found a way out. You know, when was yeah. the last time there was a president in the United States who actually had military service that was real military service? That was real military service. Um, Carter, maybe. Yeah, Carter. Because he served because he served on uh, U.S. Navy ships as a nuclear engineer. So Carter, wow, Which, yeah, you know, it's a, it was a thing, right? And McCain is is one of the those dinosaurs who actually you know had to go to the war. I mean, people gave him grief, but John Kerry um, was d- did see combat in Vietnam, and they they turned they, it they against made, him. Right. They turned it against him, which was which was I did not see coming. It's like how do you do that? And people lapped it up. Well, people, it's still that trick still works, bud. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's 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 a it's an evergreen tweet, uh, evergreen trick. I mean, yeah. 
Well, it, but, it, it, it literally is. You know, the the latest one, and people are still tricked by it. I see I see people tweeting about it all the time. Is um is the Russia thing? So is is Trump uh did did he do something bad with Russia? Absolutely. He's laundering Russian money. That's what he's doing, right? That's what he's afraid of. They're propping him up. Uh, they propped him up no, before not the really. <laughs> they, prepped, they, they prepped him up before his presidency by giving him loans and crap because I guess, nobody else would deal that with them. For their interest, not for his. Oh yeah, it's the, oh it's definitely in the Russian. It's definitely Russia doing for Russian but, things. But the 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 like collusion with Russia. Like what? Literally, what what skills does he bring to the table? Like he's a good hacker. He he can get them access to the hard drive. There's no there's no chance that he has anything to do with that. But no. But um, when you look at the John Podesta emails, what you do find out is that the number one hole in uh, from their own strategy team thinking what 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 do we need what pl- holes do we need to plug is they're worried about a deal that the Clinton Foundation and Clinton and uh, Secretary of State Clinton uh, I was Bill Clinton and, and Bill Clinton got a speaking fee and Secretary of State got uh, an approval on s- some uranium sold to Russia right that they thought that was the biggest deal so they flipped the script right they swift boated him not that you know swift boat was a, a good deal either but yeah you you you've, you you take the opposite and you turn a hero into a villain or a villain into a hero not that mccain's a particular hero i'm just saying this is a a, a perennial technique and and what what this book does bring it back to the book yeah i was, so, I was wondering where you're gonna go with this okay <laughs> What happens is they go away for the war. They they come back to Earth and it's all weird, right? Then they go away for another tour. They come back and it's all weird again, right? And and it keeps flipping like between so Earth's a, Earth's a dystopia, right? When they come back and his mom his mom has to have a, a security guard when she walks around town, and you know it turned into like I don't know Texas or something. Earth became Texas, where everybody's walking Tech, with, yeah, yeah, I, I with a pistol Texas on their is, hip, right? I, I I don't even think Texas is really the right because so let's so let's talk about that section because so in the first section, the first section of this book is is your basic combat training sort of thing. Man, Mandela trains on Charon to learn how to use uh, power armor. Goes off to goes off to war. To a planet that is most definitely not powered, or not cold, but you know, mm-hmm. things, things, these things happen. There's train. There's people. There's people who die. He he get he gets that sort of small unit tactics and personalities and cadre really well. You can tell he definitely was in the war. He understands how people in a group think. It's it's interesting that he. I mean, I I don't think his technology. Now I'm going off the subject. Would have advanced as fast as it did, advanced faster than we did in our real life. But he did that so he could have a Vietnam veteran mm. as a protagonist. And I don't. Well, he, and he, that, you know, he, his 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 father's era was that, right? So he he's born in I think 1970 or something. The character, right? right. I, I mean, but they they have 
they have characters in there who are Vietnam sure. veterans. Yes. And, and and so you have this insanely rapid technological advance, so you can have Vietnam veterans fighting fighting in this war, which makes absolutely no sense. It's like suddenly by the nineteen nineties we have ships that can go to other planets. I mean, nowadays that, yeah, I, yeah, but nowadays it just it just so says how silly and weird that prediction is. But anyway, so we go all so we get back to dystopic Earth, which has only been a couple decades removed from his from his original left, and yeah, it's more like it reminds me more like and and unfortunately it's just been in the news because of the bombing Mogadishu in Somalia, mm-hmm. where you have. Some, Fortified walled compounds, people, people with bodyguards, and a lot of lawless anarchy, and a lack of basic control over over the over the population. Because consider when they go to the farm and they're worried about uh, they're worried about people doing things there. Then they go on their trip. They have the they have the incident in London where he kills he kills people, and then. They go back to the farm again, and then the farm gets wiped out because of a large raid. I mean, that's that's lawless horn of Africa. That's not even Texas. It's mm. just it's 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 a, it's a dystopia of a lack of basic control. It's like the center cannot hold sort mm-hmm. of philosophy. I mean, you have this ever expanding military pushing out against the Torrens, whereas back home. Earth is turned into a lawless no for the mom, right? Right. No health care. Oh God. Did th- I, I mean, back when I first read this in the nineties, that didn't hit me, yeah. but now in yeah. the era of, of, uh, Trump and his, uh, piece by piece dismantling of the ACA. Mm. I mean, basically the mom got put up, got chosen by a death panel <laughs> yeah. in, 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 in a literal sense. It's just like no care. Yeah. It's, it's it's uh it's powerful and I mean trying to figure out what's going on in 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 the mind of the author compare like if if this is an analogy for for the Vietnam War it's it's not a perfect analogy but it, you can see this this is why people sign back up and go on another tour right they come back and the world doesn't make sense right Mm-hmm. Um, they can't get jobs, or if they can, they're getting spit on for, you know, military service rather than being appreciated. And and so that going back and forth, going back and forth in time, or at least going back and forth, uh, back to the back to the world, back to Earth, and they find everything's weird. Like that's 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 the big takeaway when I think about it. You know, when I was anticipating this book, that's what I remembered having that read. section. Yes, that, that that that's a very powerful, strong. Every section. time, every time they they come back out of the out of the battle, and humankind has changed. Right, he comes back and, oh, my mom's gay. <laughs> okay, and then comes back and oh, everybody's gay, <laughs> and I'm the queer, right? And then everybody's a clone, and they, uh, I'm the yeah, everybody. Uh, one of the few. Yeah. Or everybody's multiracial now, right? Or you know, there's there's almost nobody uh, that doesn't look like a Polynesian, right? And yeah. so that's interesting. And then you come back, and uh, and now there's only one kind of human left, and they're they're all called man. 
and they all have uh, one mind and they don't eat. <laughs> like, yo, that is that is sort of a, a, a hyperbolized version of what uh, of what the soldiers would come back out of the war from and see see the world as, right? Mm-hmm. All those all those political changes where you know uh, you you go away off to the war um, and uh, Cassius Clay is uh, you know uh, the number one champion he's great and then he come back and now he's uh, Muhammad Ali and then he come back again and, and and he's still great he's Muhammad Ali and you come back and now he's in jail for and he's he's reviled as a uh, war resistor right so that sort of um alienation from your own society is what i i strongly remember but what is missing from what we've been talking about so far is that this is a book in a long tradition um or at least it's somewhere in the tradition that has now become long of uh sort of the kind of military sf book that isn't reviled by most people who read regular sf because it fits into the tradition of uh, Starship Troopers, and Orson Scott Card has his version, right? Ender's Game, and there's um, Armor, uh, sort of less well-known one by John Steakley. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the the powered armor military novel, and there's a more recent one by John Scalzi. What's that one called? Uh, which one? Old Man's War. Old Man's War, right? Yeah. So, um, that, yeah, I've read that one. Where they all fit together is that they are all telling basically the what future war will be like, um, maybe from slightly different points of view. So, going to um, the original Heinlein, have you have you read that? Up oh, Starship Troopers, of course. Yeah. Okay. So Starship Troopers is um, it's actually fairly close to what we see here, right? It's got the training sequence the guy goes from uh, low to high status in the army um sort of has uh himself trained up and there's a final revelation that's oh it's a twist right this character you've been following he's he's not even white right (laughs) which is and lots of people miss that it's like yeah (laughs) i'm reading the end of the book they're not reading the end of the book. I mean, I'm just thinking, just thinking the movie and oh. having like, yeah, blonde, blue eyed uh, main character. Like, did you re- I mean, I get you're getting you, you get the the uh, fascistic elements, but you didn't get the whole twist that he's not even American and white. Yeah. It, it, you know, when you when you do a movie version, you, you can't keep that twist. Uh, in all the yeah, I know you can't keep easily. that twist um, unless you have him in the suit the whole time. Right. Um, oh well, I'm just, well, that's a different thing. That's that's hard to pull off. That's right. Um, I I think it's doing something slightly different. Although I should point out, um, there have been efforts to try to get this this book turned into a movie. It it, it isn't in production, but um, <sighs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure if how how well it will work, but I'm I'm willing to give it a chance. Um, but considering it's such a good book, it would be a long movie and it would be rather episodic because you'd have these, unless, unless you're going to fill one time period, you really just got 
this whole following forward, you're going to wind up with a, a movie that's rather chunky. You're like, okay, chunk, begin sequence, chunk, bad earth, chunk, another war, chunk, come back, and the world has gone crazy. I'm a big crazy. fan of the montage, you know, where you can, you can just... Uh, focus if if they could focus less on the battles um and do those as montages you know or the the tedium there's a lot of tedium where they sit around polishing their armor in this book you know i mean it's it doesn't feel tedious when you're reading it because he's very good at writing uh haldeman is but but he's 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 trying to i mean i mean he even has a talk has character talk to one of the people about what war is like is it's, it's a lot of sitting around and then you're when right. you're not sitting around bored you're scared to death and that really is a war experience i mean he's trying to distill that down to its core elements it's tedium mixed with fear and uh fear and uh shock and he get he gets that rather well and i think that's one of the reasons why this novel goes across the board spectrum it's also it's also, 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 I think, because it manages to mix the actually valor's not the right word. It manages it manages to show that war sucks, but soldiers can be honorable and try to do the right thing. So you get both sides of the political spectrum being able to like this book because, on the one hand, Mandela is a up and up hero. He's a soldier. He does his job. But on the other hand, the novel just shows shows the. Uh, the futility of the it also goes really for the middle it goes for the military military industrial complex and uh slaps it in the face mm-hmm. it's like yeah yeah the military military is a business and that's the business we're in and that's a bad thing and this novel puts a big spotlight on it in a way that starship troopers does not though the movie does and a lot of mill sf that a certain stratum of the public likes uncritically yeah, they're, but they're uh, another section novels to, for men the, the romance the, novels for men it's like yes we're going to go up to war and we're going to be manly they, men and we're going to focus on the on the on the the specs of their pistols rather than <laughs> the effects on the society. seriously it's like you're just it. describing like, what why are they obsessed with the you know the serial numbers on the hand grip of their their special oh. pistol that fits perfectly in their leather uh, holster. It's like, geez, it's like pornography, really. <laughs> it's kind of weird. It, it, the, for a certain spectrum of SF readers, this is what gets them going in the night. It. So, 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 so I mean, this novel goes into detail about what powered armor is like. I mean, we only get the one, the one real sequence, mm-hmm. and afterwards we don't have a, a lot of description of it. like what powered armor is like why you shouldn't let he did a lot of math right that he did a lot of of time doing math and and figuring out gravity curves and i mean you can tell he was a physics student because uh he's put in all the work i i didn't check his numbers because uh, honestly i don't have that much time or that much interest because i you know i know haldeman i i don't know if he still does but he was a prophet um at MIT, although he didn't teach physics there, he taught uh, writing, which is pretty funny. <laughs> but uh, you know, you don't think of MIT and writing, but you know, physics guys got to write too, I guess. They got to write grant proposals That's and write right. uh, and and write uh, 
abstract. So it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, I mean, the nuts and bolts are there, so you can, you can love. You can love the novel no matter what your political stripe is and take away something from it. I mean, this novel predicts some interesting things. I mean, besides the fact that it's a grim dystopia that has where lawless people are running around, that novel also predicts the legalization of cannibal cannabis. There's and 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 the acceptance of homosexuality. I'm, I'm mainly in that first section. I mean, the sex section is where it becomes dominant. That's not where we're going or haven't gone yet, but this is like, okay, lots of people are gay and that's okay. And people who, I mean, who I've had latent feelings now feel free to actually show them. I mean, his mother. That's right. And I know people who have had that experience. Of course. So, and I mean, back in the seventies though, that would have been, that's radical, heady, Uh heretical stuff. Now it's like, Oh, you came out as gay? Okay. I I think that that's I mean I I don't know Haldeman personally. I don't think I've ever met her. I've I've never met him either. But um, I've been I'm in the sh- same building with him, but I've never actually. I, I, I was within fifteen feet of him. There you go. I'm in, I'm at Lancon. That's as close I got. I'm certain that he had an experience like he comes back from the war. He had heard of gay people before, right? Um, maybe even seen some, but when he comes back from the war, it's, it's a little looser, right? Um, because that was the time period when, yeah, being gay was, it was, it was something that you wouldn't expect, but it wasn't nearly as bad as it was in the fifties. Um, and the early sixties where, you know, it was something that had to be a hundred percent closeted. There was almost nobody who was openly gay back then, but the seventies is where it starts to happen. And, yeah, he came back, and I was like, huh, that's weird. Those two guys holding hands there, huh. And they, they just sort of, hmm, you know, among among those artist types, you know, who knows? I'm, I'm okay with that, I guess. Whatever floats their boat, right? And then he comes back from the war, and his mom's, his mom's gay. <laughs> he comes back from the war, and everybody's gay, and he's the weirdo. He's the queer, right? The old queer, as it says in the yeah. book. And then he, uh, so, I mean, this is, this is, I saw a funny Twitter conversation yesterday, people commenting on things. And one of the things that said, somebody said was, what's really lacking today, yeah, oh, it was a, um, I tweeted a picture of uh, a VHS copy of a movie uh, from 1985, and then the DVD cover from much more recently, and it was the same picture on the cover, except they had photoshopped out a pair of uh, panties that were on one of the character's hands. So the implication in 1985 is that they were having sex in the car and they've been caught, right? And the boys uh. got her panties in her hand, his hand. Well, it's the same picture, except they photoshopped out the panties. It's like, oh, we've become more prudish or something. That's <laughs> what I said. Um which is pretty funny, or you know, the the marketing became more conservative because they don't. Want, I I don't know what they're thinking, right? But then somebody pointed out, no, what well, we've just lost lost context, and I and I I was thinking that's it because what our society today is lacking con- context. If you if you 
take out any one little snippet out of this book, you can say, oh, look at look at Haldeman, sexist, <laughs> homophobe, because <laughs> there are sections like that, right? So um, when he comes back and everybody on the ship's gay, um, and his doctor uh, gets drunk and wants to give him a, a fling or something, um, he says she's a latent heterosexual, which yes. is hilarious, right? Because it's an inversion of the the of, of, latent of, homosexual. Of, mm-hmm. But uh, the thing is, is whether latent heterosexual, or, whether latent homosexual was a real thing or not, it's certainly true that a lot of people um, denied their homosexuality because mm-hmm. it was a social stigma and a, a criminal in many cases. Um, and it's also true that whenever you put a pressure on a large group of people, um, results happen. I, I know that's really vague, but if you say no one can go through this door, um, people will still find ways into the building, right? They might have to go through the back door. They might have to go through a window. Uh, when you say everybody in our society is is gay now, and anybody who isn't is queer, then people who have you know latent heterosexual desires, if you want to put it that way, will maybe sometimes express them, right? And that's like, huh, isn't that interesting? It's not him being homophobic. It's him saying, look, look at the way we're living now, and maybe we're making a mistake. And then if you follow the the uh, lack of context rule through, when at the end of the novel, Potter, the doctor, mm-hmm. converts to heterosexuality yeah you could argue i think badly that uh this this is just showing that homo homophobia uh, homosexuality is wrong right and that ultimately everybody wants to be hetero and i don't think that's the point that he's making no that's not either. the point that now no that's right? not the it's point at all in context novel. and it, it, considering the book is written in 1975 that's not the tar. He's not trying to target the audience of today with any of his thoughts. He's targeting the audience of his time and himself, clarifying his own thoughts. And I think it's pretty clear that this is a really. I mean, Heinlein's a, <laughs> Heinlein was a weird guy, and reading reading his I... novels, he's he's a pretty weird guy, and. Uh, the way he obliquely attacks problems in Starship Troopers, I don't have any sort of qualms about this book at all. If you know what I mean. <laughs> I know I know exactly what you mean. I, I just want to pull up, point out, I don't know if you, did you catch the last paragraph of the novel that, um, that Mary Gay had a baby mm-hmm. delivered? Did you catch the name of the doctor? Yes, it was a combination. Diet? Dr. Alcee Moore. In other words, she did be she survived the war and she became heterosexual and she married uh, the asexual Potter. cyborg who had his parts regrown and became hetero. Yeah, I I, I thought it, it it was a nice come around to show that hey, somebody else actually survived this war that we know from the from the plot. I have not. Have you read 
the sequel to this? I have not. No, I haven't. Uh, Forever Free is the sequel, right? Um, right, because then there's Forever Peace, and I, I'll, I'll mention about that in a second. It's a spiritual, and I'll, I'll get... spiritual sequel, but yeah, but yeah, I haven't read that, but apparently, it's yeah, excellent. It's excellent. And it's, Forever Peace? Yes. It's, it's, I don't like Forever Peace. I completely agree. And it's so relevant for today. I don't like it because it's all about feels, drone warfare. It, it is about drone warfare and the soldier boys and and but the but the it feels arbitrary that like, oh yeah, if you're connected long enough then you won't want to fight anyway. It's just, it it feels it feels very it feels a lot more artificial and just like setting up a non-real situation for the sake of that. I couldn't get into it. And I like Hold, other, other Holderman stuff. This is not the only novel or story of his I like. And I've never read anything by him that I, I didn't think was terrific, which is is kind of a shame that not all of his stuff is available in audio because the accidental time machine, again, dealing with... Uh, That's a good one. Fast forward travel into the future, greater mm-hmm. and greater amounts of time, is not only a terrific book, it's also funny and delightful i uh, i really love his stuff and he's written a ton it's just most of it's not available in audiobooks people focus on this and uh i i think i sent you by twitter the interview he did with prisoners of gravity about about yeah. winning the awards for this book because this is his first novel and it won the nebula the Hugo, Hugo and uh, the Ditmar Award, I guess, which is the Australian Science Fiction Award, and that's pretty much too much. <laughs> he won everything, and he was saying it, it was political. I thought that was hilarious back then. Uh, it really helped his career. It made his next book sell really well, or he he was able to auction it really well. But he he placed it in context, saying you know. It, it it was overwhelming and had an effect, but I think I've got over it. And he just seems very, very like thoughtful and reasonable guy. Right. Um. But yeah, I I just couldn't get into Forever Free, but a lot of the other stuff. No, Forever I, War, uh, Forever Peace, because I haven't read Forever, Forever Peace. Yeah, Forever for, for, for Free is the sequel to this thing. I it's have not really not... a sequel. It's it's a spiritual sequel. There's no crossover of characters or anything. For Forever Peace, there's no crossover. Forever Free is the yes. sequel to this, and there is, and there is a, it has a Mandala come back. Maybe I should read it at some there are, point. There are some other pieces floating around too. So, I I also tweeted to you about uh, there's four serials. Of this book. Now, by the way, mm-hmm. the first time this is published, um, it really only had a couple of pieces. Um, this novel. So uh, it, it, as it was serialized, it was first came out in uh, analog under the title Hero, and that's the first section of the novel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to point out something funny about. I guess I I told you this already, but I'll tell everybody else. Um, it's pretty much the same, except instead of saying, fuck you, sir, at the beginning of the book and maybe the first page, it says, screw you, sir. And I I think that this is significant. And this is something that, that Heinlein didn't quite tackle. And I think that um, that... 
Haldeman is tackling. So uh, Heinlein, when he was serving in the Navy, he had joined the Navy uh, voluntarily, right? He 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 became an officer on purpose. Um, he didn't serve in a war, as far as I know. He he didn't even see battle, right? He was just in the Navy in the 1930s. Um, he left, uh, served, you know, uh, at home during World War II, and wrote Starship Troopers. Um, and it it's not exactly an ode to the military, but it's it has a deep respect for the military. This starts with um, all the soldiers saying "fuck you, sir" to their training officer. Yep. And it ends with. Uh, everybody moving not to heaven, the one of the planets where all the angels live, not back to Earth, but to a uh, sort of a hippie planet, <laughs> I guess, uh, ca- uh, called Middle Finger, right? So it starts with a fuck you and ends with a middle finger, this book. And that is uh, not wholly compatible with respectful service. And yet, it, it it's not something that shows up in the middle of the book either, right? Uh, when when Mandela is is talking about uh, his command, and and when we find out his psychological, you know, profile from was it Doctor Potter? Um, I'm not sure. Um, Doctor Moore. Doctor Moore. Okay, Doctor Moore. Right. So um, when we find out the psychological profile. He's the kind of guy who wants to lead um, only if he if he has to lead, he will lead only from a position of of empathy, and uh, he wants to uh, lead with ideas and not lead by will. And the thing is, is the army's not really good at um, leading with empathy or uh, leading with ideas. It's better at Leading with will. will. That's why you know they berate the soldiers, they break them down, they they make them conform, and then they build them back up, right? But right. the main thing is, you will do what the commander says. And he even explicitly mentions in this book um, uh, how the he called them the Marxist uh, soldiers during the Spanish Civil War would conduct their <laughs> themselves, right? The officers and the enlisted would drink together. There was no saluting. Um, orders would be followed, but only after the orders had been thoroughly explained and everybody agreed that they were the best course of action, right? And he says they lost the war, but the other guy, the other side, didn't have any fun, right? So he's very ambiguous as to as to what he feels about this. Now, I. I tried to contact my friend Mike Vendetti. Um, you know Mike? Have you been on a show with him? I have not. Okay. He's a narrator, uh, audiobook narrator. I met him that way. Um, he served in the Vietnam War. <laughs> and uh, he lost a leg in, in South Vietnam. Um, not something, you know, you take lightly. Uh, and I've been watching uh, watching his tweets as he watches the Vietnam War series um, uh, that Ken Burns is producing. And he, his emotions are, you know, right there in his tweets. He's talking about the feelings he felt 
uh, when draft dodgers were uh, leaving the country and the feelings he felt when he came back from the war. And, you know, I've talked to him, uh, you know, not on the podcast as well. And he, mm-hmm. he's, you know, he's not super happy about having left his leg in, in, in South Vietnam. Um, and he's also not very happy that he was sent there. Right. And he's got a lot of mixed feelings about, I'm speaking for him because he's not here and I couldn't get right. a hold of him. But he, he was, to me, he was very ambiguous about about his feelings because he, he found uh, service to be powerful, but he also thinks that they shouldn't have gone there. And I think that that's, we get that here. At the end of the book, we find out, oh, it was a big mistake, right? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it was it was like this war didn't need to happen. All those people didn't need to die. Nothing like this should have happened. And that is ultimately the lesson of the Vietnam War. Right. But it's not a lesson that we seem to be able to keep. No, it's definitely not a lesson we need. We can't we can't we, we can't, can't we retain can. it. No, no, we you know, America and maybe Western societies took a very different lesson out of Vietnam is like we, we need, we need to be stronger and more determined and, and support our we, troops. Right. And, and support, support our troops, which gets into all like, Oh, Oh, if you're taking a knee for the national anthem, that's at right. the national anthem, you're, you're, you're disrespecting the troops, which is a, which is a conflation of the national anthem, the national anthem only honors our military, right. which is right. which goes in, which goes leaning right into uh, the arms of the F word, yep. and that's not uh, fuck you, sir. It's the other F word, which I'm not going to say because I think I've people scream on this podcast, but you know which one. I don't actually know which one you're talking about. Give me. I, I'm, 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 I'm talking about the system of government that was prevalent oh, in Germany. Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, no, so I saw your tweet this morning. Uh, somebody had said baseball. So players oh God, for yes. the baseball, uh, national There's anthem. There's a national anthem in 1921, which didn't exist in 1921. I thought that was a very nice, <laughs> very nice point. Um, it's like, yeah, d- yeah, d- d- don't, don't. So it's, yeah, it's that, it, politicians manipulating the people is nothing new. The, no. The, the difference is, is, and one of the reasons Vietnam War is so powerful is because there was actual journalism going on there right people were actually showing the effects and that actually brought an end and to the war eventually and and showing with a with an with a critical eye i mean now we've gone way past the book readers forgive us i'm thinking of now of the first of the gulf war both gulf wars actually mm. where you had reporters embedded that that nice little verb embedded yeah. with the troops, yeah. which what I mean, of course, the uh, the quid pro quo is okay. You can come with us and see other things, but you're going to put stories that show us in a patriotic light. I mean, I'm trying to think of critical stories of from those embedded reports. I can't think of any. They were basically there as uh, another word I don't like to use, but it's true. Propaganda. Oh, it's uh, there propaganda. is such a thing as propaganda, and it's and those stories were propaganda. Yeah, yeah those, I mean, I mean, embedding embedding reporters is basically a way to get 
positive propaganda for the troops rather than actual critical stories of what we're doing, why we're doing it. Is it good? Is it bad? What's the effects? Stuff that we had in Still the Vietnam War. Hey, bud. Uh, what Ryan Williams was uh, extolling the virtues of the beauty of the missiles as they shot off into Syria, a country ah. which uh, no no uh, congressional action has declaration allowed. Declaration of war. Yeah, there's yeah. no been no declaration of war. It's just oh, we're shooting there now. Okay, you cool and with that? I, yes, we're cool with that. Says Brian Williams. Beautiful, beautiful missiles. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's not that's not even being embedded anymore. It's just here's the talking points, here's the footage, run it on, and they do. So and, and that's something that this book actually misses. I think it does. It, it, it's really told from Mandela's point of view very tightly. So we very, very tightly because I mean, are there reporters? Are there? Are, I I don't think he so goes because on tour. If you remember, he we never see the tour, but he, he comes back and the veterans are toured around the world shown uh, on media interviews and um it's, and it's quite well done in the the comic book adaptation did you see the comic book? i have i have not sadly okay. tragically um the marvano is the artist and haldeman and his wife who by the way i believe is called gay huh? yeah her name um, is gay yeah so margay right <laughs> this is uh, uh hey hey he wrote his wife into the novel i'm not gonna i'm not gonna fault that man. <laughs> no i think it's great um, anyways, she, uh, she did the translation, he did the script, um, and it was, uh, Marvano is Belgian. Um, but in the eighties it was, um, in black and white now, uh, just released from Titan comics, uh, re-released, I guess with, uh, color art is, it's quite good. And they show, they show the, one of the interviews where he goes on TV uh, their equivalent of TV and gets interviewed and um, they ask him, you know, hey, what, what did you think of the battles and the, uh, were you proud and all that, you know, sort of inappropriate sort of they don't know what they're talking about questions. Um, and he answers honestly, but when he watches the video, everything's changed. Right? Everything is uh, manipulated so that it appears that he's uh, gung-ho and the war is going great. And it's one of those sort of things that convinces him, I got to get out of here and get back and, and get out of here, you know, go to the moon, join the army, get out of here. Uh, because it's not for him anymore, right? And, uh, I, I think the novel, though, uh, what's the word, uh, forces the issue of maybe a little too much in killing off both his mother and Mary Gay's family to force them into it. it I think the novel, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to sound heretical, could have been slightly improved if it didn't try to make that like beat over the head. Okay, there is nobody left for them. They ha- they're going to have to go back to the army. That if, I think it would have been a slightly better choice if that hadn't been the case and they just decided of their own will, like, we're not we're not fitting in here. We're just going to go back and leave their parents behind. I think that would have been slightly more poignant rather than like, oh, there's nobody here. There's nothing keeping them there. Does that make sense? Mm. If, if, if it feels like he stacked the deck so like, yeah, there's no reason for them to stay. If, if their parents had survived, there would at least be a counterpole. It's like, 
Well, they could stay for the sake of their families, but no wars really where they belong rather than just being like, there's nothing here. We'll just leave it. I, it feels a little more. I hear you. I, I, one of the reasons it might feel that way is because it was serialized, right? So the uh, section entitled, well, as a separate novella, it's called uh, "We Are Very Happy Here." Um, you know, you have to have a beginning, a middle, and an end in a in a story, right? Mm. And so um, him continuously uh, finding reason to join the army or at least rejoin or or leave right is going to be necessary if you're going to serialize it so there's that um but yeah it's a plot contrivance but on the other hand people do uh get old right and uh america does have a (laughs) a bad healthcare system that does kill 84 year old moms um and uh sometimes people join the army uh to get uh, healthcare for their families right? so to get money uh, to um, go to school. So th- there is there's some there's something to it. Um, I, I I don't know about the uh, the far I th- the um, the farming situation right uh, where every, what is Mar- Mary Gay's mother and father got into some financial trouble and they went off grid right. And they're farming now, and they seem to have a fairly good life, except for the the raiding parties and such. Um, I, I think that that's not real for the United States anytime recently, but I'm pretty sure that that's, as you say, it's it's true for the people of Somalia. Yeah, it, it it's de- definitely places where there's anarchy. It's Horn of Africa and uh, sort of they thing. They do have and, pirates and, there, and people don't. You know, the people who join those pirate squads don't do it just because they love singing sea shanties, you know. Um, They do it because they need, you know. Money to live. Money to live. And and they don't do it because it doesn't pay off. They do it because they need to. And it does sometimes pay off. So, yeah, it's not a perfect. He's, he is being manipulative of the plot, but I think it's for our benefit, and I, I appreciate it. it. It is, it is, I think, very much in the tradition of Starship Troopers. Um, so he is also following that that plot line, right? Um, and I, I like that. I, I like that but, tradition. It's it is and it isn't. I mean, Starship Troopers is a story of young man gets. Signs, signs up, signs up for war, and becomes a man in doing so. This is not quite that story. This is a story of someone who got drafted against their will, right. and is thrown into the meat grinder, and by basically the roll luck of the dice survive. I mean, consider but the reason the, why it gets the generation right. It's it's Heinlein grew up before the war. There, there was theoretically a draft, but almost nobody got drafted, right? Mm-hmm. He chose to go into the uh, into the Navy. Um, he didn't find the service horrific. In fact, he loved it, right? He, he got bumped out due to health reasons. Right. And then you have, you know, go a generation down the road, and you've got uh, Haldeman, who, you know, wants to be a physics guy who's studying to be physics oh my number's called up now i have to go to vietnam shit right 
And there was a. Um, and yet it, it, it's telling essentially the same story of a you know war with the aliens. War, war with incomprehensible aliens. Where, but in the course of this novel, they they eventually come to an accord. Whereas in Starship Troopers, they're they're never given that sort of uh, comprehension and understanding. Whereas this novel is like the. El- we we all understand the aliens and it was all misunderstanding, but now that we're like the aliens, we become the alien in some sense. Mm-hmm. That then we can understand it, and now there is no war. Now we readers, I've been, uh, sorry, uh, I just uh, yeah. I want to I want to keep this point in a, another little bit. The uh, Heinlein's thing is you don't understand politics, right? <laughs> and so yeah. he has the character having it explained to him, and then the character comes away from this feeling, aha, right? I I understand why the military are the only people allowed to vote. Veterans are the only people allowed to vote. It's sort of Heinlein's solution to the problem of, you know, getting into wars. Whereas mm-hmm. Haldeman's is... Um, it was all a big screw-up, and we screwed up. It's much more uh, politics of the era of of uh, Nixon than it is, you know, the the political atmosphere uh, of Nixon than it is the political atmosphere of uh, Roosevelt, if you know what I mean. Right. And okay, so now I'm a little off track, but you just reminded me of something. Mm-hmm. So in in the background of Star Trek Troopers, we understand that veterans from the war basically took over the world and the government and made it as it is. And that's why only people who engage in service, capital S, which is mostly military, but not all, as I recall mm-hmm. from the novel, that's right. are, are voters. Did you catch in this novel is almost, I wonder if he did it on purpose and meant it. There's a take that at that, about that in Haldeman's novel because it's mentioned mm-hmm. um, in the second uh, the second bit that there, there was a revolt of veterans on earth huh. at one point and it fails. Yeah. It's like, I'm wondering if Haldeman was like, was like, Sarge was like, no, they wouldn't actually be able to take over. That's silly. So we'll, so I'll, I'll mention that there was a revolt and it just got screwed up. Well, you know, there was uh, something called the Bonus Army after World War One. The Bonus Army, right? So these these are World War One veterans who were promised bonuses, um, mm-hmm. and they come back from the war, and the economy's okay, but the problem is, is they they didn't, you know, their jobs are all taken, and they were promised bonuses, and so they march march on Washington, and they're roundly crushed. Right, the veterans yep. come back from the war and are roundly crushed by new soldiers <laughs> under new orders. Yep. Right, and it's like oh, so there's that too, right? Uh, I mean, I mean, sometimes it doesn't always work so well. I mean, I've been listening to the Revolutions podcast, which is a podcast about the history of various revolutions, mm-hmm. and they mention the Revolution of 1848 in France. One of the stupid things the monarchy did was. The national, you, if you had a certain level of income, you, you you had to be in the National Guard. And if you had a higher level income, then you could vote. And then the people in the National Guard wanted to vote, and the king said no, no, no. And so when it came when when uh, push came to shove, the National Guard sided against the monarchy, mm. and the monarchy fell because the monarchy didn't think that didn't 
understand that they needed the support of the National Guard, which had supported them way back in 1830 in the and helped bring the July monarchy to fruition. They didn't support the troops, as it were, and the troops managed to uh, help cause the monarchy to fall. So yeah, and it, and uh, that 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 whipping thing of the you know we didn't support the troops during Vietnam. We spat on their uniforms yeah. as they come back from the airport. Now it's support our troops is a, a whip used to keep the war going continuously past long past you know no matter yeah. how far back you look at the american support of, of sunk, the french sunk. in in vietnam uh, where you know the french eventually leave and the americans are the only ones standing there holding the bag um <laughs> it to when you know it actually ended maybe in 72 maybe in 75 you know um, depending on how you calculate, it's still law. You know, the wars that have been fought since 9/11 have still been going on longer. It's ridiculous. And, and I mean, efforts to try to even wind them down will look like, well, why do you want to destroy the noble sacrifice of all the people who die there? It's a sunk cost fallacy. <laughs> but nobody wants to be the. And it was right that way at the beginning, right? JFK um, needed to keep. The war going past the, his next election in order to not lose to his opponent. Because if I say, you know, what we've been doing here has been a mistake, um, then I will be a loser, right? Nixon's secret plan to end the war, which was, yeah, not so much. Well, it's just like. He got. Circumstances made it such that, you know, LBJ and all that stuff. But the But the thing is, is. It, it, it is. It's, you know, they knew it was not a winning proposition. And the guy they're supporting is not is not the guy to do. What we are missing from this book is sort of the upper command echelon, what they know. We never see what they know. And I think... We, 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 yeah, we can only infer it. Yeah, uh, and we... But we can very badly infer it, right? So... Yeah. Um, we, we don't really know at all. And if you've read... you, I'm sure you've read Ender's Game. Um, sure. That's... What I appreciated about that book was not... I mean, people love that book in a way that I, I don't think anybody loves Starship Troopers as much as so many people love. And, and, and I think what the, the reason why because is because you have a young teenage protagonist who's thrust into that... And if you have a, He's a reader who's genius, about this, right? Yeah, yeah, super, super genius, misunderstood. I mean, I mean, it, I mean, he's he's a wish fulfillment avatar for thirteen year old boys. Right, that's, that's why right, people yeah. love it. But that's not what I loved. I mean, I thought that was fine. It was okay. But, I, but I, read that, it as I think an that's adult, why people. So, but I, yeah, I love I, I love the the arguments between the commanders as to what why they need certain kind of aspects for logistics, right? Why, why certain strategies or disciplines or ways of thinking would be useful. It's kind of like an insight into why you want to have um, unpredictable generals or you have... Uh, uh, the book spends a lot of time on that. It also spends a lot of time... Uh, sort of in the forums, right? As their online forums yeah. before their online yeah. forums. And that that is very interesting too because it's like re, uh, today the equivalent would be like reading a really deep Reddit post with a lot of people who are super smart 
Um, but you know, they don't have academic or uh, political power, right? They they're uh-huh. not movers and shakers in mainstream, but they have the ability to persuade a whole lot of people by pointing to certain things and framing it the right way. Um, facts that were heretofore known but not um, understood, and that that that's why that book is powerful. It does sort of a different job than this does. And my understanding is that <laughs> it sort of fits. Orson Scott Card, not a veteran as far as I know, um, has read uh, both probably Starship Troopers and uh, and this book, Forever War. And and he said, uh-huh, and here's what's missing, right? And uh, that he makes the general a child is kind of, I don't think it's, people read it that way, right? But it kind of explains the foolish behaviors of real-life generals um, in doubling down on strategies that are losing strategies because they're following orders, right? Uh, you, there was a recent, uh, I think it was a Netflix movie that that was about uh, a thinly-veiled version of of the events in Afghanistan with uh, what was that general who criticized Obama um, and then was fired and there was a sex scandal and blah blah blah. He was giving you know it was like this guy knows he's not going <laughs> to be able to finish the job because there's no job to be finished, right? There's no end point to any of these wars because there's no victory conditions. You can't you know, seize Kabul and say, we've got it, and plant the flag and run off. That's not their victory condition. The victory condition is defeat terrorism, which is never going to happen. Yeah, you're defeating a tactic. How do you defeat a tactic? It's a a framework for continuous, unending war. And going way, way back to what you were saying before, the whole volunteer versus draft with without a draft there's it's just basically an endlessly churning meat grinder that people can tune out because it doesn't affect the majority of americans lives it does but not in ways that they they but but not ways that they feel to to right 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 there isn't there is no uh there's no uh sting in it until you get something like say a 9-11 yeah, and and the 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 fact that you're you're on a constant war economy, and while that that's going on, and, and the government's being fleeced of all its coffers for the benefit of a very few um, war profiteers, um, and you you say why why is my standard of living falling, and how come uh, the military keeps getting increased budgets when we have no enemies? Um, and, and then you have the people who they, their big point, you know, whatever atrocity happens in the news domestically, they say like, this is unfair when a black person does it, it's called terrorism or whatever. And when a white person calls it, does it, it's called, not called terrorism. Uh, You know, the, the, the point is, is. Bad stuff is happening, and labeling it is not is not the solution, right? It's not labeling it; it's preventing the bad stuff. So, uh, you know, the, with the Las Vegas thing, right, that happened recently, mm-hmm. 
people, I saw them saying things. This is an act of domestic terrorism and should be treated as such. No, <laughs> you shouldn't well, treat things as domestic terrorism because that, that label just causes more problems. Um, if you want to defeat terrorism, ignore the the ignore the uh, points they are trying to hype up and push your own points, which are we're going to calm things down, we're going to solve the things in back channels, we're not going to publicly come out and say you're evil and we will defeat you in all places around the world, no matter what and how much it costs us, because that's what they're doing. Right. The thing is, is there have been shootings all over the United States long before the label uh, was called terrorism. And, you know, slave revolts are not terrorism. They might be designed to cause terror in, in it's labels, not the issue. It's the fact that you've got a whole bunch of dead people and uh, whether the guy was white or not, uh, he had a bunch of machine guns. And he shot a whole bunch of people with those machine guns. I think the guns and the access to them are probably a bigger issue than the color of the guy's skin. And I understand that, you know, when black people get shot, it's not as big a deal in the United States as when white people get shot. That's a problem too, right? But people get caught up on the words and the identity politics when... Atrocity is what you want to avoid. Uh, I, I don't think this book tackles racism at all. Did, did you notice anything like that? Because that it, was it, a big issue in the Vietnam War. It, it sidesteps it, and by the time you start thinking about it, as you pointed out, oh, everyone looks kind of the same anyway. This novel's more interested with the individual soldier experience to change. It's much more, it's more interested in changes and accepting of sexual norms then yeah it doesn't touch racism at all there's no racist comments no one's i mean i mean yeah. we, we we get we get the sense that william mandela is black only because his name is yeah but and, and, and his name that's himself not, is kind of, yeah it's a made-up yeah, name it's a made-up name but we're not told yeah whose parents are so yeah it, it, it sidesteps it and avoids it completely which Unfortunately, nowadays, and our United States feels out of place. It, it, it feels like he 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 dodged the question. I didn't think about this back when back yeah. when I read this way back in the day. Well, because it wasn't uh, you know uh, the the charge of racism has blown up in the last. You you know you made a point early on that <laughs> things have gotten worse. Uh, People. Uh, or, you know, it changed between mid-2016 and now, right, if you went away and came back. Um, the charge of racism is 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 blown up. If you did one of those Google engrams, uh, you would probably see racism went up higher. I don't think anybody became more racist suddenly. I think... No, what, but the, I th yeah, things got illuminated. And, and yeah, well, th things got illuminated, but also things are things are hyped up by the news by media organizations in order to make, you know, a, people watch their videos, right? So, yeah, are there racist people uh, running the country? Absolutely. <laughs> um, absolutely. But I don't... Th 
when they do the movie, right? When they do the movie, Channing Tatum is set to, set to start. I believe he's a white guy. I, yeah. I, I have not. I don't. I am. I don't know if I've seen him in anything, but I believe he's a white guy. Um, so they they made a decision. Um, I don't remember any of the characters. Uh, races in this book, if there are any, other than the fact that he says everybody looks vaguely Polynesian. Yeah, it, it's just not something that we address at all. He's more interested in other. I mean, he's much more interested in socioeconomic it's a, it's a, status. Yeah, it's, a it's a, it's like a a person story, an experience, and it's it's interesting in that respect. Uh, when they did the Ender's Game movie, he, he was a white kid, right? Yeah, uh, I, I don't remember if the that book movie. is that way. So, um, I don't remember either. But we only have that sting in the tail at the like at the end of Star Trek Troopers, where we find out that Johnny Rico is actually Hispanic and from South America. No, he's not Hispanic. He's Filipino. Filipino. He's okay, Filipino, right, Filipino from South America. <laughs> Filipino from South America. Yeah. Well, you're you're laughing, but I'm suddenly reminded of. Uh, that when we find out in Star Trek Voyager that Ensign Kim, who's ostensibly Asian, is from Scandinavia. Ha! Huh. He is because because he goes to this because he gets a holo program of like a, a Beowulf at one point I, because that's his heritage. It's like I didn't watch all of, all of Voyager. I I think I I made through several seasons, but I didn't make it to the end. Yeah, but so yeah, so. The novel does not explore racism. Is that a weakness in the no. novel? It's a weakness in the novel now. I mean, I mean, if if you wrote the novel now, then you'd wonder why you didn't look at that at all. I mean, at the time, he's trying to. It's a beautiful was, time capsule because uh, I think it it shows a, a time period when you know. It wasn't as hyper-polarized I think, I think that, out there. Yeah, and there's a there's a line about Mandela's psychology in there. like, uh, And he even says when he comes, he's, he gets all these troops in and they're all gay, right? Everybody's gay. He he says, uh, when, when Potter, is it Potter? The, one of them, the android with, uh, with no... Uh, uh, asexual android, he calls him, right? No, not android. Uh, cyborg he calls them asexual yeah, that, cyborg. Yeah. yeah, that's Potter. Potter. Potter says uh, he says, um, oh, "I'm not prejudiced," <laughs> and he says, um, "Yeah, well, uh, we are," or <laughs> something to that effect, right? And they are. They're all prejudiced against him. Um, I think, um, and I, I, I'm probably basing this on uh, some interview. Um, it, in his experience, Joe Haldeman's experience of the of the Vietnam War, um, the s- soldiers he was fighting behind beside were all the same color, right? They were all his team, and the, yeah. and the fear of the enemy uh, was more much more important than the color of the skin of the soldier who was drafted and you know right at his shoulder in that foxhole and i think that the the charge of racism that's being thrown around so much today is not going to be 
Um, if, if there was a Joe Haldeman coming out of the Afghanistan war um, and writing a science fiction novel in this tradition, I don't think he would be throwing around the idea of race uh, all that much either. I think that it's a media construction because it isn't really that important um, when it comes to real human beings who've had experiences in the world with other fellow human beings, you know, outside your, your bubble and your, your fears. Um, and a lot of the times just sort of resentment, deep, deep resentment for things that you don't know how to place, uh, that racism goes away. I think, I think a lot of prejudice of all kinds, racism, sexism, um, prejudice against orientations fades away with actual lived experience with people of that ilk. I mean, I mean, I, I, I think as par- as people discovered that their children were gay, queer, etc. for example, that, that helped ameliorate a lot of the intolerance towards that because it's an, it's not an abstract thing like oh 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 the queers in san francisco and new york your daughter is gay what do you do about it and for for some people it's a it's a denial or a very painful experience in other words and others many people i'd like to think in a hopeful thought it's a chance to grow and understand that no they are not foreign alien evil evil people they're people just like my daughter and I'd like to think that experience is the best way to try to remove racism. And I'd, it's, 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 maybe it's an over-optimistic story. I'd view that if we can't all get along, if we all just tried to get along and tried to experience life with each other. And as you said, what, being a combat team in Vietnam or a combat team on uh, Stargate or anywhere else, but... Other days, I think that sometimes that people's blinders are impervious even to that lived-in experience. I don't know the novel. The novel just doesn't go there. It doesn't. It doesn't explore this question. It's an interesting it hole as, in this. I, I think it treats it as settled. Like I think. Yeah. I think he he read Starship Troopers. He had his own experience. He's like, there's nothing more to say there. It's done. Now, let's deal with homosexuality. That's an interesting topic. That's something Heinlein didn't really go into. When he does go into it, he's still a bit uh, he, he likes the lesbians, but he's not so much on the on the on the gay men, right? Uh, and, and, and and that that actually brought me to a something I'd read somebody mentioned that in I mean in recent science fiction and fantasy there is a greater representation these days of gender core characters. But there's a lot more genderqueer female characters than male characters, especially written by men. Yeah. And the question is, what? Yeah, it's just like well, I think it's just that comfort. It's just that comfort thing. Like, to, I mean, writing a lesbian couple is easier, I guess, for a straight guy because it's not the, you're not challenging your own assumptions and your own gender, as it were. Whereas if you try to write a a queer relationship with two men, that leads to a lot of self-reflection and thought about how you feel about that. And for a lot of people, that's painful and uncomforting. So there's less of that. And since there's still, I think, slightly more male 
writers in science fiction than fe- than female, although that might be wrong at this point. That's why that representation isn't there yet because that self-reflection hasn't occurred. It's hard. It's hard to look at something close to yourself and see the because you see the flaws within yourself. That's a really uncomfortable thing. It's a necessary thing. It's a good thing. But uh, and Holdeman and Holdeman's and if you notice here Holdeman's male. I mean, I mean, since most of the soldiers here dude. are male, he's a dude. Yeah, he's he's a telling dude. his own story. That's he's so so story, and he he's willing to go there. I mean, it's not like he has all female homosexual characters. I mean, I'm trying to think of. Apparently, I mean, except for Di- except for Diana, I can't think of any any that we have named. Apparently, Margay gets her own standalone story after Spider Robinson asked Haldeman, uh, could you write a story from Margay's point of view uh, while she's separated from Mandela? Oh, really? Yeah, and that exists. Um, and it's been published separately. Um, this book has had many, many changes over the years. Uh, you know, not not just the least being the screw user. Um I encountered it, I think, in a, a mostly complete form with the the three sections. There's a fourth section that was excised. I think I tweeted you about that. Um, mm-hmm. the, it was excised before it was, you know, published at all. It was it was part of the writing exercise and such. Um, but I want to point out that that I think the it. People read science fiction the wrong way. <laughs> I think they read it the wrong uh, way. Yeah, yeah, you're a dangerous. T- I know, there, I know. Jesse. So my, uh, the way I was introduced to it, my uncle he read a whole bunch of science fiction when he was young, and uh-huh. he said to me, Jesse, you should read this, this, and this. You're gonna love it. And he would tell me about the book. You know, he didn't have this uh, thing they they worry about now called spoilers. Spoilers. He would tell me. <laughs> This is the story of a dude like this, and he does this, and then that happens. I'm like, wow, that sounds great. And I read it, and I'm like, yeah, it is great. And then I would read some more, and I'd, I'd uh, talk to him again, and he'd give me a big stack of books. Um, and I would read those, and I would you know, read off in the, my own direction after, you know, I haven't seen him for a while, and, and then it's fine. And the thing is, is I'm reading books that are written before I was born. I'm not reading mm-hmm. the books that are coming out today. And I think you can read the books that are coming out today. But I think if you do so, you're reading a, a lot of books by a lot of people who read the books that came out just a few years ago. Because what they're missing is that, actually, unlike other genres, I think, uh, maybe mystery genres is similar. And mystery and crime uh, are, are sort of the twins of science fiction and fantasy. Unlike other genres, uh, I don't know, romance or military SF or whatever it is, um, science fiction is a series of conversations between stories. You get the time machine, and then you get other stories that are dealing with it. You get Starship Troopers, and you get other stories that are dealing with what's what's left more to say or whatever. And... If you start with the most recent in that, you're going to be missing a large part of the story. And the thing is, is today, my uncle is now my aunt. (laughs) Gender swap, right? That's weird. 
I, it's not weird to me at all, because I read in 1966, uh, the 1966 story, uh, I, I've talked about this this story before, by Frederick Paul Day Million. Day Million, yes. Right? Uh, I read uh, a Friday, uh, and... I Will Fear No Evil. I Will Fear No Evil, and I've read uh, all of, basically, a lot of the major classics of science fiction, and... I don't they're like gay characters in a, a story is passe to me. It's like that's not a big I don't need a, I don't it's not I don't read the stories for the characters at all. I read it for the social the society that's being depicted. I read it for the science that's being explored. And that's not the way most people read. They they read it like I want to see my my values reflected or something like that and it's like well, no, I'm, no I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm, I'm stopping you right okay there. stop me right okay. there it's, okay okay so and i got plenty of okay so plenty of just, ammunition fire away just brief bit i got into science fiction because my seven my brother who was seven years older than me got me into science fiction he started handing me science fiction nice. before i was the age of 10 and i just kept reading stuff he handed me till I could start read stuff on my own. And you've read it. Um, I, I know that because I've, I've talked to you many times. Yeah. So I, I've been reading science fiction since before 1980. So, oh. um, so the forever, the forever war, actually, I am going to mention this. I should have mentioned at the top of the show. The first thing I ever read of the forever war, oddly enough, was the last section. Hmm. It, it was, cu- it was cut off and I, it was like in some anthology somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it's just, it's like the, that battle on that, on that planet, on that last, on that last planet. And then the, and then his escape outwards. And I was like, that's an odd story. Where's the rest of the story? And I didn't know for years until I actually got to read the entire novel. But yeah, I, I, st- I started off with that last bit with them fighting on that, on that little planet in the large mountain on the cloud, which was really, which was like, whoa, they've. They've transported themselves all the way there to fight a war. Wow, cool. Cool. But go now. Going to your point, it's not that people necessarily want to see their values represented in science fiction. Although some people do, a lot of people read science fiction not necessarily for the G whiz factor or for the world building. I'm a, I'm all about world building. I've been a, since world building since 1980. Born and proud. <laughs> I, I, I I want a nice constructed world that I can go. I mean, I mean, uh, just, just think of how like, effusive I was when we did Ringworld, for example. Mm. It's like, there you go. You built a, a ring around the Literal sun. Literal world, oh, world building. Exactly. That, I mean, that's where I got into science fiction, and that's where I plant my flag. It's like, if the world building doesn't hold up, even now, yeah, the, 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 the science fiction just does not work for me in fall. So I, what a lot of people these days especially want to read in science fiction is they want to see representation. They want to see people like themselves that they can identify and connect with it. I mean, cause we're, we're and, in and an that's era. That's what I'm, I'm having a problem with. I, we're in an era of character based. I want to see say, people who fiction. I can't identify with and come to identify with them. You know, I, I know, but a lot of people having not seen, a lot of characters like themselves for a long time in science fiction want to see characters like themselves. And that's the whole root of representation, be it representation by race, by gender identity, by sex, by what have you. 
they want they want to they want they want that sense of wonder that I could have when I was in 1985 and I read Dune, I saw a white male protagonist named Paul Atreides and it's like love hug someone <laughs> I, I mean i mean gra- granted there's plenty of other stuff i loved about dune and one day we should do a show jesse about dune We're so i could talk gonna all do a dune show one day but part of part of what i love doom and it's selfish is like there's a character i could completely sink into i could see as me because he even had the same first name but i, I mean yeah, i mean but, yes uh, see i think you're making a mistake because I 100% agree with you, Paul Atreides is a great character. But I also know that it's not the character that's important. Because uh, well, how people, many books it, published that same year had a white male protagonist? Probably all of them. All of them. Right? Pretty much all, all of them. Right. And the thing right. is, is they're not the standard, and they're not the classic. Think of think of how cool the other stuff in that book is. Think of how cool the scenes with Paul, like hey, this weird lady comes into my bedroom while I'm sleeping. Why is she looking at me that way? Why am I having a whispered conversation with her? <laughs> right? Like, that's the cool part, right? That is It's the same thing. So when people, uh, little kids, right? I talk to them all the time because I t- tutor them. They okay. tell me about this great book they read, right? And then I say, and who? I've not heard what's the title. They tell me the title, and I say I don't know who's who's that by. They have no clue, right? The thing is, is kids never. I I know this from my own experience. Never pay attention to the author until you sort of graduate from that, and you say, oh, wait a second, this book is. I really like this book, and this other one has a similar cover. In fact, it's the same artist, and it has a similar title, but I don't like this one. What's the connection between this and that? Aha. Right. There's this other thing on here, the author. Uh huh. And people make this same mistake. Right. And I, I make the mistake, too. I, I watch a movie with an actor who I really think is compelling on screen. Uh, and I think, oh, this Miguel Ferrer, he's terrific. Right. <laughs> and I watch I try and watch all the Miguel Ferrer movies. And sometimes they're good and sometimes they're bad. But Miguel Ferrer is the actor. He's not the writer. And we, you know, uh, this is why Tom Cruise sells uh, movie tickets, um, but almost nobody knows who writes the scripts for the films, right? The uh-huh. the directors sometimes get a little bit of attention, um, and that's mostly due to the French, you know, sort of uh, focusing on the fact that film it can be taken over um, by a director's vision in a way that book can be taken over by an artist's uh, or a writer's vision so it's it's not the characters to me that's what that's what makes science fiction so different is that it's about if, if you're doing soft science fiction it's about the society it's about um looking at sociological issues uh looking at trends and forces um, and then you have characters who are dealing with those things, right? Uh, there, there are lots of books like this where I'm like, wow, here's a society with a guaranteed annual income. What falls out of that? The ma- main character of that story is a white male protagonist, probably. Maybe he's a black male protagonist. I can't remember. Um, he's probably male. Pretty sure about that because most 
science fiction readers in the 1970s were probably male. I don't know, maybe, or because the author was male. But that Mac Reynolds novel stands out to me as a terrific novel, not because it's, you know, got a represent, it's representing me, but rather because it's dealing with a really interesting phenomenological issue where the scarcity of labor uh, is is not important. It, the scarcity of jobs is what's important. And we, we, we actually have a little scene like that in this book, right? There's a part of the earth where almost nobody's employed. And that is fascinating to look at. And, it is. And I would have, uh, that that's world building enough to spend a whole novel there. And It, it is. But it's not, there's no one true way to read science fiction, Jesse. <laughs> I, I, I mean, let's, let's just take I, I, this down. But there are a lot of wrong back, ways, is what I'm saying. Uh, there. There are six and ninety ways of reading science fiction. Every single one of them is right. You misquote Rudyard Kipling. Let's take a look at this novel. Okay. Just let's go back because we're, we are talking about the Forever War today. There's all sorts of ways to read this novel. You can read this as I did back in the day, and I believe this is as a, a world building of how society changes over hundreds of years, and this guy has to live and see through it. We get to see Earth in the future at a particular time we get to see alien we get to see alien cold planets we get to get the jungle planet with the weird creatures that the taurans okay. have domesticated that's a it's a really nice planet we don't get to see, spend enough time on we get to see heaven and i would love to see more heaven because a paradise planet where you can basically blow all your money on things it's like i would like to visit there take my camera see these yeah well, read the comics see those, it shows it it's see, pretty good Marvano's a great I'm, I'm going to have. I'm going to have to, have to. We get to see what li life is on a little planet in the in the lesser Magellanic cloud that gets attacked by torrents. There's plenty of world building here, but it's not the only way to look at this at this particular novel. The other way to look at it, another way is, let's look at deep dive into the character of William Mandela. This this academic who doesn't want to be a soldier, never wanted to be a soldier, but because they decided to recruit high IQ types, he gets thrown in to become a grunt. It's a complete, utter reversal of what he was trained to be and what he expected out of his life. And it's a deep dive into what a soldier's life is like, especially when it he has to have the future shock of being, being facing with a society that's moving past him and he's still stuck as he is and for some people it's the it's the slow entanglement and twist and turn of the relationship between mandela and mary gay which starts off very very tentatively and eventually becomes a bond that she's willing to wait on a time shuttle for him no matter what his age if i won't be your lover i can at least be your nurse mm. That's a yeah. strong declaration of love. And some people read the novel for the Mary Gay-William relationship. There's a number of different ways to read this various novels, and I'm not going to say that any of them are wrong. I might read them. I might read it more for the world building. You might read it for the ideas, but some people will read it for the character, and some people will read it for the relationship, and that's okay. We're all in the church of science fiction. We can all raise praise Hosanna for being able to read this genre and read this wonderful novel, no matter which lens we bring to it. I'm an atheist. 
but <laughs> I hear you. But, oh, 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 okay, but you got my point. <laughs> I do. I just, uh, I, I think, you know, if you read it for the romance, you're going to be disappointed. Um, it, I mean, he's okay it's, at it. He's, he's fine. It's a thin read, but it's there. That, that, it's, that it's line some, about, I'll a, be your nurse or I'll be your uh, your wife or whatever it is. That that sounded like a Heinlein <laughs> ode to me. It's a, it, it is a very Heinleinian bit. Yeah, but and it, I, I mean, it also, you know, if you want to if you want to look at it as a as a modern enjoyable uh, book, uh, Margay doesn't really, you know, she's not she's not promoted as highly as he is, even though she's equally experienced, right? Um, yes. So uh, I think. Um, is there are there still books yet to be written in this conversation that's been going on for a while? I think armor is a little bit too heavy on the the armor and the battles. Um, uh, um, I, if I were to you know produce suddenly somebody give me a big wad of cash and said you have to produce the movie version of this, I would have almost all the battle scenes in this book just be a series of montages and spend all the time. Um, having coming back from the war and being introduced to all these weird changes to the earth. Um, and I would have uh, whatever romance elements in there are okay, but the happily ever after ending, right. That, that we get mm-hmm. on this it's false too, uh, because there is a sequel, right? Yes, and I, I think the uh, that's maybe that's maybe that's why people don't like Forever uh, Peace as much because it the the romance in there is a little more modern with you know life uh, people people don't just live happily ever after right uh, it's from, from what I well, life is more compl- life is more complicated than H E A H E A is a H E A is a Happily ever after. Oh, it's a Roman okay. term, but but yeah. Well, I, I all right. So anyway, yes. Yeah, so the conversation, the, the conversation in science fiction. This it sounds. We, we've 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 turned into the Kutri podcast. Hello, Jonathan. Hello, oh. Gary. You're probably not listening, but they they talk about the conversation in science fiction all the time over there. Mm-hmm. So yes, th- th- this definitely is a novel in the conversation of military science fiction, and there are some more modern novels that kind of explore what is it like to be in the military what does that mean now uh and it's it depends on how you want to how you want to slice i mean as far as military power armor there's not a lot but it, i mean there's there's stuff other than just this the straight up uh war is great and everything is good and kill the bad guys i mean like say Linda Nagata's The Last Good Man, which just came out mm-hmm. this year, is it's more of a thriller, but it it, it deals with near future science fiction warfare in a in a realistic way. I mean, you might 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 think it's a little not enough speculative element. I mean, there's some drone technology and other things, but I think you more like would like her the Red series, which is a little more in the future. There's there's an AI, there's a lot more technology. That series is really exploring war and its implications, and there's a line in there it's like there's always has to be a war going on somewhere. I haven't I haven't heard anything um, that sounds like it's it's doing 
the it's in the conversation uh, since Old Man's War uh, in this particular yeah, yeah, that's probably, thread. Yeah, and that's in this particular exact thread. Yeah, that's probably the last one that it's, actually. It's interesting that they're all men, um, because you know there are there are women who can follow others. You know, I, I was just listening to I was digitizing my out of print copy of uh, the Lathe of Heaven which I think we should do a show on because it's such a yes, good book. Yes, I agree completely. Um, and that is uh, that is uh, Le Guin doing Philip K. Dick. I think she even explicitly says that. Um, and that is... They were in high school together. That's They were, but, a, little, but she's which also... Which ironies of history. She's also a great appreciator of his writing, and as many people are. Um, so when she creates a, a character who can... Or a character who has this problem that whenever he dreams, he changes the world. Um, that's an interesting thing to explore. She's trying to have a conversation with Philip K. Dick. I don't know that many other people have tried. So I don't know that there is a, uh, you know, he's sort of an industry unto himself. He's so different from other writers. But uh, he, the Lovecraft conversation is is so loud and churning that I... I I dare dare dip into it. it. It's it's fulminating, and there's some really good ones. If a lot of denouncers in the group too. I I I recommended a couple of them here on the podcast before, and I recommended to you that there's some really good explorations of Lovecraft's legacy going on even today. He's he's definitely. I mean, he was out of the conversation for a long time, and now. People are really, really. He wasn't I, engaging. Turns out that he wasn't out of the conversation. It's just that it was, yeah, it was turned down very low. The mute, you know, it was the volume was down there because, you know, there were there were people and he was, he's he's now at max volume, right? Everybody's everybody's paying attention. There's plushy Cthulhu's in stores now, yeah, so yeah, yeah. But you know there. How many sequels to Innsmouth uh, have there been? Many, is my guess, um, and and that's just one of the stories. So, but yeah, it's it, the dialogue with this particular thread is it's not that great. Um, I I want to point out a couple other things that are kind of interesting. Besides, um, Bova being the editor of Analog when this is published, and we get the the I don't know if the censorship I assume it was from Bova of um, Screw You Sir. Um, mm-hmm. Another thing that's in here that sort of feels like a legacy of analog and um, uh, astounding is, and uh, I'm not a big John W. Campbell fan. I thought I was at the beginning when I was starting my science fiction career. Uh, I think every, I, th- I think everybody of our generation does. I, I thought he was, I thought he was uh, interesting, um, and he had some good ideas. I was pretty much wrong about that. He seemed to interfere with things a lot more than I think was wise. And he, he seemed a pretty stupid man in many respects. Um, but um, one, of the th- one of the stupid things that I think he, he foisted upon a lot of people, and maybe not all by himself, was the, I don't know, telepathic angle. Oh, and yeah. That's in this Psionics. Book. For no reason, I don't think it adds and, anything and it at all. Fades, and it, it starts at the beginning and then it fades away. As, as you know, if you're yourself? selling a, something to astounding, everybody knows add some bullshit element like that and you'll get a sale. 
because and, and then, then it, I mean, then it no longer becomes a thing except that it's implied that the clones are using it, but otherwise there is no telepathic element. Notice how, past how uh, those nobody chapters. writes those books anymore. There's good reason uh, for that. There's good reason for yeah, that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm as far as in the Campbellian tradition. Yeah. I mean, there's a few. There's a few novels here and there which kind of sort of stand near psionic powers. It's pretty but much dead. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, the last major novels that did lots of psionics were Julian May's intervention novels. I've even heard of them. But the, 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 those are the those are in the nineties, and she also did the Mary Colored Land from the eighties and stuff. So that's the last time I know there's lots of major psionics in novels. What I do, uh, I, there's one thing I do appreciate about uh, Campbell, and that's in here too. And I, I, oh. I must say that I don't think he, I don't, I doubt he was the sole inventor or pro, promulgator of this. Again. Um, people like August Derelith, you know, people thought he was great. Now, the more you find out about him, the more you find out he was not only a bad writer, he was a bad person. Um, <laughs> you know, I can forgive people being a bad person if they're a good writer. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Orson Scott Card, for example. Um, but I can't, I can't forgive them being both. <laughs> so the one, <laughs> one good thing we, uh, that I think Campbell did is that he was he was pushing that show me a man show show me a, an alien that thinks like a man but not like a man or as well as a man but not like a man and I think right. what we see of the aliens in here um, are pretty good and what we see of them is nicely reflected in what happens to the humans right all the humans become exactly like the aliens did you notice that? Yes, I, I mentioned that before oh. because because they feel clones like like them, so they can understand them, and a priori clones of different species can understand each other, and you can't understand it, you poor deluded human. Yes, and that's uh, it's a nice little nod in that direction, which is it's a good one. I mean, I, I don't even think that Campbell was the one to promulgate it exactly; he was just the one to be quoted for it, but. Uh, it goes right back to basically the big guy after Wells, which is Leinster. Um, Murray Leinster wrote that story, uh, a Martian Odyssey, right? And it's not a no. That's that. No, no, that's Stanley Weinbaum. Uh, sorry, Weinbaum. Yeah, Leinster is a little bit after. Um, Weinbaum, uh, I guess around the same time. Um, Weinbaum's story uh, is not a very good story in many respects. It's kind of uh, I don't know, straight line. Uh, sim. It's not a. It's not a great read. However, it's been a long time since I read it. it so. It's not a great read. It's it's not a terrible read. It's just not a great read. It's not. It doesn't stand up as like a great story. But it is an important story because it does so many things interestingly that will later pan out. Uh, unlike Wells, you know, who who was actually a great wordsmith as well as a a great ideas man. Uh, Weinbaum's story is, is really just full of great ideas, and he, he's like, he's like, hey, I've got all these tools and all these ideas, and I've got this piece of paper. <laughs> so he puts it all down there, and it's it's fine. Um, it's it's workmanlike writing, but it's not that great. But that that's what I'm I'm so obsessed by is is like thinking through the ideas, 
And so, yeah, the characters, world world building can, you know, it's important. I mean, I think it's really important, in fact. But uh, tell a story based on that world, right? Right out of that world. That's what makes Dune so great. It's not that Paul Atreides is the is is just like me is the shizzle is just like me because he's really a blank canvas for us uh as readers in a certain sense but i i i'd love to read uh the gender swap version of uh dune as well because it would be just as good it doesn't matter if uh they're monks or uh nuns that are implementing this breeding program i mean it would change things right it would change, it would it change would, things, it would, but it would still be as interesting. A gender swap dune. There's an idea, Jesse. I, I don't know. It's set on a water world. Wait. <laughs> it's an interesting idea. I would read that well, book. Well, I'm, I'm glad we got to read the Forever World, which was full of great ideas and great world building and an interesting central character. So. It has something for everybody. I think, I, I think I we think can I, agree on that. I think I've read this book like four or five times at least, and I almost never reread anything. I have 2.25. I mean, that little bit I read at first, then the entire novel, and now this we listen to. Yeah. I, should, I, should, I should read it again in 10 or 20 Absolutely. years and see how I feel about it's it. It's going to be good. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. Back to our regular scheduled program. Yes. Although a twofer, which is a little unusual. Uh, at least, uh, at uh, least not in my era have this has this ever occurred. Really, really, really. I've never been on a podcast. Or just you and I. Well, let's see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, let's see how this goes. I didn't think this was. I know back in the day with Scott, you did this, but yeah, I, didn't I did it all this the time. in years. So, um, yeah, uh, some people think uh, having fewer is better. I've had some of my best shows have been with just two people, because you can get in a lot more depth. Uh, in some cases. Well, we'll have to see how so, we hold up. How many hours do you have? You have an hour exactly. Uh, probably an hour, hour 15. Okay, so we better get started then. We better, let me get the, hopefully the possible, possible recording to go. That Ubik show is over two hours, but the last 12 minutes is Philip K. Dick talking, so. Oh yeah, you, you added bumper material. Yeah, it's good. Uh, it's, it's fun to hear him talk, because if you haven't heard him before, he's, he sounds exactly like he writes. That does not surprise me. He's a hilarious dude. All right. Okay. I'm ready. You ready? I... I am ready. I am ready. All right. Two minutes. Yeah, it's already recording. I'm going to grab a water. I'll be right back. Just take a second. Okay. Although, by time dilation, it's going to be two hours by the time I get back there. Two hours for me, two minutes for you. That's right. Here we go. You ready? Yes.